So I wanted to talk a little bit tonight about um, cleaning up our act and how it happens. <laughs> it's a little different than uh, what we usually think, uh, maybe before we come to Buddhism. And it's been my experience, and certainly with a lot of people um, who I come across with practice, that there, you know you can feel a lot of frustration at, at not being able to do um, what we want to do, to improve ourselves, to fix things up, to change the way we are. You know, let's face it, that's why we come to meditation in the first place, why we're drawn to the Buddhist teachings. They seem to offer a way to, to clean up our act. So we come to retreat, um, you know, and we can establish all kinds of skillful intentions around that. So just like tonight, chanting the precepts together and taking them seriously. This is what we want to do. We want to uh, be able to rise up uh, and keep these precepts. So you might, um, you know, since this is a place where there's not a lot of structure, then you have to come in and and set yourself a schedule and make the determination to... Um, follow that schedule to some extent, or, or maybe your schedule is not to have a schedule, <laughs> and you and you want to be able to see what goes on all around that. You know, we form the intention to maybe sleep less or eat less, certainly practice more than we do um, when we're not in this kind of an environment. And, and certainly, um, we all have a high degree of success doing all of this. You know, there's a there's like a, uh, what happens is like there's a, there's a highly motivated aspiration in all of us. And, and we kind of wrap that around this intention. And, uh, you know, you can manage to keep it up. You can manage to keep that kind of thing going. But, you know, we've all known the frustration and the disappointment <laughs> that, that goes along with it, you know, because it just seems like no matter how hard we try, you know, we always seem to fall short of the mark. You know, it's like you can keep it up for a while, but then it falls away, and then you have to start it all over again, and then you can keep that up for a while, and then it falls away. You know, inevitably we fall back a little bit on our intentions and just have to kind of refocus and reform around it all. So practice in this sense, and and really our lives, maybe outside of formal practice, it's the same for that, it can be very frustrating in this regard. You know, just, what, what does it take? <laughs> what does it take for me to just get on course and stay on course? That kind of feeling can come up a lot. You get frustrated just trying to manage and and, and control this thing that directs the course of our actions. And it's very important, you know, understanding intention and understanding um, this this thing that's sort of like the rudder of the ship. You know, fortunately, we have the Buddha, and the Buddha gives us a lot uh, of of guidance in this regard. So uh, just to look at how he defines it, how he um, addresses this this, uh, subject of intention... You know, according to the Buddhist teachings, it, it, it carries a very uh, different meaning than it does in everyday language. It, it's much more primary. You know, usually we think of intention as me deciding to do something, <laughs> and then uh, I do it, you know, uh, or I don't, you know. But here, the, the Buddha is pointing to something that is an extremely um, subtle, uh, 
urge. Uh, it's kind of like a, um, you know, it's something that's sort of felt at the beginning of movement. It's 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 even felt in, at very subtle levels at the movement into thought and into activities of the day. It's not a thought, but it can often be experienced as a thought, or we think it's a thought. He calls it chetana, volition, and um, it's the force that's driving all of our actions. Like I said, it's kind of like the rudder of a ship, very associated with attention. You know, intention is the bit that's driving where our attention lands. And it's there in every single moment. It's active in every single moment. He said, nothing happens without it. Having willed, the Buddha says, one acts through body, speech, and mind. So it's active, if you think about what he's saying here, it's active not only in what we do and what we say, but it's active in even what we think. It's directing the course of uh, the very um, nature of our thoughts, what we grab hold of and what we linger with. Nothing happens without it. (laughs) And, you know, when you think of it in terms of practice, intention is where all the action is. So there's a lot of impetus to see it and to understand it. Buddha said that there are six kinds of intention and uh, three of these are skill, uh, unskillful. That's greed, hatred, and delusion. He calls these the roots of all unskillful action and all suffering. And there's three skillful. And sometimes this is referred to as um, non-greed, non-hatred, and non-delusion. And sometimes in, in some of the suttas, the Buddha refers to these um, skillful actions as um, kindness and harmlessness. And renunciation, or just that non-attachment. Like, you know, sometimes when you think about renunciation, you think of of it in the external renunciation. You know, the the taking up robes, or becoming a monk or nun, or living a renunciant lifestyle. But it's really uh, got this very subtle aspect to it as well, which is just the letting go. (laughs) You know, the bit that doesn't pick things up in the first place as well. So, whatever we intend... That's what we get. So you can see why it's so important. Because basically what he's saying is that anything that's born out of these unskillful intentions, you know, things like fear or anxiety or lust or anger, covetousness, all these heavy, you know, heavy, heavy states of mind, um, anything born out of these, that's what we experience. (laughs) And these, you know, if you've ever been in any of these states... There's hell. This is the the Buddha's definition, in a way, of hell realms, momentary hell realms. And, of course, by contrast, then the the heavenly states are all those intentions that are arising out of harmlessness and and kindness and non-attachment, renunciation, things like generosity as well, and uh, these beautiful states of equanimity. So the the quality of intention in every single moment is determining the state of our mind and the state of our heart. And whether we feel uplifted and light or whether we feel heavy and burdened and dark, this is all um, being driven by intention, whether we're kind of living in a heaven realm or a hell, hell realm. 
So you can see how it's linked very much with what we're experiencing in any present moment. Yeah? You can feel how it's... Whichever way it goes, that's what you get. (laughs) And it's either heaven or hell. But it's interesting. He takes it even further and says, not only is this movement of intention determining how we... uh, what we feel, what we experience in each moment. There's a way that it has bearing on um, what happens in the future. So it's not only kind of directing our present, it, it has uh, leanings towards the future as well. Uh, and what he means by this is that there are results or outcomes to what we choose or intend now. You know, there's this kind of like a, a, a momentum that 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 choice that's being made in this moment is actually, uh, is actually brought to bear on the next moment or on the next time that that same kind of impulse comes up. So, it, you know, depending on which way it goes, if we um, follow a skillful intention, then the likelihood in the future that we will do that again is increased. Similarly, if you follow an unskillful intention, the likelihood that you will do that again in the future is increased. So um, our current actions are are being brought to bear on the the future. Now, it's not that we're bound by those patterns, you know, because, um, but basically what he's saying is that you've sort of set a course that's highly conditioned. And... um, Even with that, however, there's always the possibility if awareness is brought to bear and wisdom and understanding on that future moment, then the course can be shifted. But that's a big if, isn't it? (laughs) You know, something has to be, uh, you know, a a very awakened uh, um, moment has to take place in order to be brought to bear on that. It has momentum. Intention has momentum. And this isn't so far out. I mean, it's, it's not anything that we don't already know in some ways. You know, I was watching one time when I was um, just opening up a, a tin of Pringles, you know, <laughs> one of my favorite little snacks. And it was, these, it was a sour cream onion ones, which I love. And just as I was opening the top of it, snapping off the lid, I heard this little voice inside me say, Oh, you've gone and done it now, haven't you? <laughs> it was kind of like a Laurel and Hardy kind of voice, you know. Oh, that's another fine mess you're going to get yourself into, you know. <laughs> that kind of thing. Because I like these, you know, crunchy, salty things. It's just like, oh, man, you can sit there. How many times have you done it? You could sit there at a movie or, you know, with a bag of chips or something like that. And just, uh, it's, it's got this momentum. It can just get very, very mindless. So we know what this is like. It's, it's, the same, it's the same kind of thing that he's talking about here. So given all of this, then, you know, this teaching on attention should really get our attention. <laughs> you know, it should really be something that we want to turn towards and, and understand so here's, here's what he encourages us to see about it. First and foremost, we have to be able to see. We're kind of encouraged and directed to be able to see through practice uh, 
that despite what it feels like, intention is not self. It's not being driven by the promptings of some inner CEO, you know, who's managing and controlling uh, this being. And this is a hard one to get sometimes because, you know, everybody has the feeling. I don't know anybody who doesn't, just has the feeling that there's somebody in here running the show. You know, when you go to put on your shoes, you know, I am putting on my shoes. You go to fix your tea, I am fixing myself a cup of tea. You go to bring the cup up to your mouth. You know, I am lifting the cup and bringing it up to my mouth. You know, there's a, there's a little person sitting at a control panel, you know, just kind of directing the arms and the feet and the, you know, the thoughts and all of that. That's, I mean, that's me. You know, it's simplistic. I, you know, I realize it's very simplistic, but, you know, we all have a sense of that. You can, it seems so real. It seems like there really is somebody in here who's doing it. But, but the Buddhist teaching states in no uncertain terms that it is simply not that way. It's just simply not that way. And it's for us to see this and discover it for ourselves. And this, is, um, this teaching on intention is one of the most powerful things towards letting go of suffering that one can experience. And it's, as I said, this particular one, intention, is kind of is kind of hard to see. So, one of the best ways, it said, is is to to turn to the whole teaching of the five aggregates, uh, in which this um, teaching on intention is embedded. And uh, this is this is a teaching wherein the the Buddha explains um, that five aspects of our experience. And so most of you are quite familiar with it, but he talks about body, feeling perception, mental formations, and consciousness. And he tells us that, and this is, this is really interesting, the way he describes it, it's, it's like, it, while these constitute our experience, yeah, no question, this is what we experience. Sensations, feelings, thoughts, you know, perception, formations, consciousness, this is what we experience. But they are not who we are. And one of uh, one of my most favorite um, suttas, uh, called the the Greater Discourse on the Full Moon Night, um, the Buddha is telling those assembled, please, he's encouraging them, please do not regard these five aggregates as self. This is the beginning of the end of suffering, if we can understand this. So uh, I, I point this out because some say. It, it actually gets harder as you go through the aggregates to 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 non-attach, to non-identify, to see them as not self. And intention, of course, is on the far extreme of it. You know, it, I call it the last stronghold of self-view. <laughs> it's the last little bit that won't let go uh, of, of this is who I am. Yeah, but you can build to an understanding of it. Uh, by uh, reflecting on how it is that one is identified with the other aggregates and and how it is that one begins to see the letting go. Because, as I said, it it does seem to, you see for yourself, but it does seem to be easier to get it um, on the coarser end of the spectrum. So, for example, 
the body. You know, once you've practiced for a while with the body, you know, we begin to get some um, semblance of detachment from it, don't you? You know, some sense that this body is operating according to its own laws. <laughs> you know, it's, just, it's not under the control of some sense of self. You know, it's not under our control in the way that we think it is. And it's said um, in the suttas that one of the best ways to see this is just by examining your experience as the body moves through the four postures. This part of the Satipatthana Sutta is is critical. And I think often the way we talk about that section is, uh, you know, that that the mindfulness in the four postures is is intended to keep you uh, continuous throughout the day. So you can see the body as it moves through these postures, and and that way you stay with mindfulness. But I think that really shortchanges what's going on with that instruction. Because what, what will happen as you... Watch the body as it stands and sits and lies down and walks throughout the day. You can't watch that in any consistent way over a period of months or years or however long it takes and still believe that you're doing that. <laughs> it, just, it just doesn't hold up under that kind of observing, does it? Like somebody was talking the other day about walking and, and how, you know, you could say, well, go this way and the body will go that way. <laughs> you know, one time I actually had the experience where I was doing walking meditation in the lower walking room over at IMS. And uh, I heard the bell ring and I thought, well, I better go upstairs. And then I had this other thought, well, you can go upstairs, but I'm staying here. <laughs> it's like the, this whole thing just didn't want to go. It's not. It's not under the control of that. You know, <laughs> I can think it all I want. You know. So the body moves about in ways that are clearly not consciously directed by a CEO. And, and no matter um, how hard you can see this in other ways. No, no matter how hard you try to keep the body healthy. It still gets sick, doesn't it? You can eat all the sprouts you want. It still gets sick. Or, you know, you know, my latest is these age-defying creams. Yeah, I want some of that, you know. Put some of that age-defying stuff on, you know. You can put all of that on you want. <laughs> you, you still look in the mirror, and it's all sagging and turning gray and all of that, you know. It, it's, it's not under the control of self. You know, if we could stop that, if we could manage it and make it not go that way, we would, you know. But you, you start, you finally, you know, after you watch in this way over the months and years, you, you find it starts to sink in, doesn't it? It, it really, it, maybe this isn't who I am. Thank goodness, in a way, you know. <laughs> maybe it isn't who I am. The body is not self. So that, that's not so hard to see. So then, you know, we begin to get a sense that, that feeling, feeling is not self. You know, you, you look at your experience in and out of retreat, going back through the years. You know, we, we spend our lives uh, in this endless quest 
to make everything all right. You know, just years and years, <laughs> don't we? Just endlessly trying to get all the ducks in a row, set it all up, set the table just right, get all the right people there, and it's all just going to be great. We're all just going to have a great time. But, you know, as, as the years unfold and the observing is sharp, you, be, you really begin to see how exhausting that is, how exhausting that whole quest is. And we're, we're wearing ourselves out with, the, with trying to control pleasure and pain, trying to manage it. And, you know, you just begin to see that that feeling happens. Pleasure and pain happen. There's not a darn thing you can do about it. Sometimes it feels good. Sometimes it feels bad. And there's just nothing to be done about it. So, you know, I don't know about you, but you sort of get this feeling as, as time goes by. I might as well just let go. <laughs> I might as well just try to, try to find a way to relax into it. I, I can't control it anyway. And besides, with, with time, with practice, um, you begin to see that your happiness doesn't depend on the pleasure. It doesn't depend on it being there. And uh, it doesn't depend on being able to skirt uh, unpleasant feelings. You find over time that you, you're okay with pleasure when it ends. You're okay that you can't get rid of pain sometimes. These are not who we are. You can, can you feel the detachment that's going on in there? There's that, that okayness is not insignificant. One is clearly beginning to get it. That uh, feeling is not self. <laughs> I don't have to go through these incredible dances and mad scrambles to try to manage it. I'm okay with it whichever way it is. Now, you can see how it's getting a little harder. And the next one is perception. And, and so many ways that one could come at this because the, the perception kanda includes a lot. It includes, uh, you know, the, the, just the language, the words that we use for things, the names, the labels that we give to things. You know, the, uh, it includes like the associative quality of the mind, the, the bit that's always relating <laughs> You know, if we don't see that, this is the sanya kanda at work, the, the bit that's always relating to what's happening. And we buy into it instead of just staying with what's happening, you know. Uh, but as, uh, just, just to zero in on one, or one of them, um, as I was talking this morning in the, in the morning reflections, uh, particularly memory and, and plans, these are part of the sanya kanda at, at work. So memories come up, and and maybe for a while in practice, um, you know, you consistently keep getting born into them when they come up. You, know, you just you, you think a memory comes up, and you you can't. It's like you can't even resist. You just keep. You just. It's real. It's your past, and so you start to relive it, <laughs> you know, and, and deal with it sometimes, especially painful or, or difficult memories, or or dreams and ideas come up. And we can barely resist. You know, it's, oh, man, that's great. I want to get lost in that one for a little while. But then over time, with practice, 
one really be, begins to, to feel the pain of being preoccupied like that. You know, that, that the way that lingering in these thoughts about the past and dreams and fantasies about the future, you know, it keeps shortchanging us in relation to now. You, know, you, be, you really begin to see how this mind seems to have a bias against now. You know, it just, it just doesn't want to rest in now. And one can understand it. And as you begin, as you practice, you can see it. Because, you know, to really rest in now, you've got to come full, head-on grips with impermanent suffering and non-self. Because that's the way it is now. <laughs> that's the way it's always been. That's the way it's always going to be. You know? But it's scary and painful. And so you begin to get some insight. Well, that's why the past is so much more interesting and the plans and the future and or the thoughts about tomorrow. You know, it's a deflection. It's a way to not deal with the way that things really are. And some of it's just, I mean, some of it's not that insidious. It's just a bad habit. We don't know any better, so we just keep doing it, you know. But this is what the, the mind begins to sort out through the meditation practice. And, and, and you, you begin to, the, the sense of the past and the future, just start to lose their reality, don't they? It's like you can try to get up a full head of steam with some juicy fantasy, but, you know, they just, it doesn't work so much as the years go by. <laughs> it's like it doesn't have the lure. You know, it's like, uh, uh, it's too, you know, I know what that one, where that one goes. It's just it's too, too painful. Why, why go there? Even now with all of its difficulties, it's much better. Yeah. So the, the mind begins to rest and let go of these uh, notions, which perception is like notions, ideas, more than anything. Now, <clears throat> it's true that when it comes to identification with consciousness, it gets a little tricky. This, this one, but it, it can be seen if we just know what the Buddha is pointing to and, and try to look and see for ourselves. You know, especially in the early years of practice, uh, trying to control consciousness can drive meditators crazy. <laughs> it's like you sit, you know, at least it drove me crazy anyway. You know, you, you, you sit and you, you want to uh, me- meditate um, but, you know, the, the, the mind is just like constantly going with uh, seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting, touching, thinking, feeling, seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting, touching, thinking, feeling, seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting, touching, thinking. <laughs> it's like, you know, it just keeps going. It's like, it feels like it's just flitting all over the place. But um, what we don't understand yet, you know, but takes a little time with practice is, is that... Um, you know, our, our objective is to, to see consciousness, you know, not to try to control it. If you try to control consciousness, I promise you, the meditation will not go well. <laughs> you can't control it. It's, it's just picking up the, you know, it's just 
attending to this, 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 this. Its function is to see, hear, smell, taste, to connect the subject with the, the apparent subject with the object. And that's what it does. So once you begin to realize this, then you don't want to obstruct that movement. You just want to see it. Then, then the meditation can start to relax. It can start to go a little bit better. You, you sit back and you watch that. Watch that happening. Just let consciousness do what it does. You know, that, that's not going to obstruct the stillness of the mind. It's not, it's not a barrier to that. Now, with significant intensive practice, like, like we can do here, one can actually see consciousness isolated out from the rest of our experience. You know, so, so moments of consciousness can be experienced directly. And, and with, when this happens, and this is a lot of the mental noting, although that, a lot of that is just trying to get you to connect with what's happening, uh, it, it can also be a tool to actually drop into consciousness um, in a very direct way. So you know that, that you know you're noting seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting, touching, and that that has an effect to actually uh, see that connecting energy against the backdrop of everything else. So it gets isolated out, it gets singled out, and then in that moment, if you if one can see in this way, then what happens is the sense of somebody who is seeing falls away. You know, the sense of, the, of an object that is being seen falls away. And that the totality of the direct experience in that moment is seeing. It's this, uh, just this connecting energy. Now, w- when one experiences that, then it becomes easier to see that, that consciousness is not self. You know, what, but what can happen there? You can also see how the mind will take that moment, and it's kind of like it, it, it. You know how we said that ignorance complicates everything. It complicates this simple moment of consciousness by owning it and grabbing it. So, so seeing becomes I see. <laughs> Hearing becomes I hear. You know, but, but Buddha is clearly saying that this is a distortion. This is not what's happening. And you can see this very directly. Consciousness can be isolated out. So what, what happens a lot with meditators is they can get tripped up here because this direct experience of seeing, when we're connected with that, this sense of I drops out the sense of me as the one who is doing the seeing completely falls away. You know, Bucky Fuller said, I seem to be a verb. <laughs> and, but that was actually, he was actually not seeing clearly because there, it's not what's happening. You, you are not the verb. There is just that. There is just seeing in that moment. And you can think you, you, when that happens that you're having some kind of no-self experience. But that's not what's happening. What you actually want to be able to do is sustain 
that kind of looking that allows you to see seeing now, hearing now, smelling now, tasting now, thinking now, in very direct momentary arisings. When you can do that, you, you know, you go, oh my gosh, consciousness is not self. It's not under my control, it's just doing what it's doing. It's just going about doing what it does. So this can be seen very directly. And as I said, that can sound a little far out, but it's really not. In the experience of it, it's not that that hard to experience. And um, it's just remembering to continue to see in that way, to continue to notice the arising and passing of phenomenon. And consciousness is one of those phenomenon that is rising and passing. So keep that positioning stable so that we can see it. <coughs> Excuse me. Now, when it comes to the, the sankharas, you know, we have these two aspects of the sankharas, the formations, the mental states themselves, and then intention. And the mental states, you know, that's not that hard to see as not-self. You know, the patterns dominate the way that we organize what we experience. So that a lot of, you know, some people tend to be organized through longing. Some tend to be organized through pushing things away. Some tend to be organized through sticking their heads in the sand. And, you know, whatever those dominant tendencies, we, we begin to see them, don't we? You begin to see this wow, you know, I can get really piggy sometimes, you know, <laughs> just want that, that's, there's this push to, to be happy through gratification. There's this push to be happy through getting away from things. And, and over time, you get some distance from all of that, don't you? you? You get to see it happening. This is what's so beautiful. One of the, the beautiful rewards of the practice is just this kind of objectivity around our very moods and mind states. You, you get that going. You get that kind of seeing going. Just the implications are unbelievable. You know, these, these patterns and impulses that dominate our being, you've you got some distance from You've got a prayer in the face of them, you know. But it takes some detachment. And some of these are incredibly strong. You know, one of, the, one of the monks said one time, you know, sometimes even mindfulness is no match for a full-blown mental hindrance, <laughs> you know? <laughs> it's like you get the, the juice behind some of this stuff and you can't, you can't get any footing in relation to it. But having seen it once and having seen it again and again and again, the whole thing just starts to, the whole empire just starts to fall apart, doesn't it? You know, you, you can't, you can't persist in thinking that I don't care how strong the state is, that it's you when you can uh, see that you can snap out of it at any time. You, you, you know, it, it just doesn't... You know, my experience of this whole thing of working with the aggregates is that this whole idea of this being who I am, it just doesn't hold up in the face of the data. You know, and, the, and meditation is collecting the data. And look and see, is that the way it is? Or is it? Is it not? And you just collect the raw data and it, it, it builds and builds to this critical mass 
where you begin to realize what the Buddha is saying, you know, for ourselves. So that's, you know, you, you see how this is all, he's, he's kind of moving us very gracefully and very skillfully in the direction of getting free of this sense of self. And it's kind of like cyclical. The more you start to see it, the easier it becomes, the more we can actually apply it. But now, when it comes to this uh, illusion of control, this, to me, that's what um, identification with intention is. I, I really think that I'm the one in here who's making all of this happen. The, you know, this feeling that I am running the show. <laughs> You know, however you conceive it, I, I don't know how you, you do that. This aspect of mental formations can be, is quite another thing. You know, it, it, it's, most people find it very difficult to acknowledge or accept that this is not self. But when you begin to notice how the, the impulse to think, to do, and to say things, it just seems to be coming up from some reservoir, you know, it's deep within our being. It's, it's just like, it's just arising, you know, out of, out of nowhere. Then you, be, you really begin to get some sense of how intention is happening. And it's not happening out of some, the prompting of some self. So, as I've pointed out, it helps to, to think of intention in the same way as we think uh, about these other mental and physical events. What the Buddha is saying here, in no uncertain terms, is that um, intention uh, is a mental event that operates uh, just like everything else. It's not any different, whether it's sensations in the body or thoughts in the mind. It's, ari- it's not arising out of the prompting of a self. It's arising out of conditions. It's not under the control of self. It's a very impersonal act. It, it can be difficult because when we touch this place, um, you know, we, I don't know about you, but you can feel everything inside you screaming. <laughs> You know, but how am I supposed to get free if I'm not the one who's doing it? You know, <laughs> how's it going to happen if that's not, you know, it's like even this. How am I going to get to Nibbana without a self? <laughs> so, you know, you can feel it kicking and screaming. And, you know, I've just learned through the years to let it kick and scream. You know, it, it, it'll wear itself out over time. It just gets tired of trying to be on top of things. And it, it, it dies a slow death, but it does get tired of it. <laughs> you know, it really does. So um, if we can see that the body arises out of conditions, then it's not a big leap from that to, to see what the Buddha is saying here, that volition behaves in, in, one's, in exactly the same way. And, and once you get it, it's just a tremendous relief. It's not that we're not responsible for what we do, 
but you can let go of this whole sense of um, beating up on ourselves for what we do, you know. <laughs> it's like, what's wrong with me? Why can't I? You know, have you ever had that one? Or, or you know, what's, what's the matter with me? Why, why am I not on top of this impulse or this activity? You know, that whole stuff is just so exhausting. It's so painful. It's so brutal. But it's all proceeding from a lack of insight into the way that intention operates. So if the, if the prospect of waking up feels you know, heavy or burdensome, it's probably because you think that you have to do it. Yeah? You know, but um, fortunately, it, it's not a job for self. <laughs> self doesn't do it. it. It happens in spite of self. You know, thank goodness, really. Um, it's, it's all, it's a job for mindfulness. It's a job for mighty mindfulness, <laughs> you know. <laughs> you can always see this caped crusader coming in, you know, and just winging its way in and saving the day. Mindfulness, you know. <laughs> I'm the one that cleans up the act. You can, you can just rest now. <laughs> all you got to do is find a way to relax and pay attention. I mean, that's the, that's the instruction we heard on our first meditation retreat. And it's never changed. You know, relax. Pay attention. Don't judge. Don't criticize. <laughs> Let things be as they are. And just notice. See how it feels before, during, and after. <laughs> yeah? It's never changed. But, I don't know, but if you're like me, it, it, you know, it took about 20 years to think, oh, they really mean that. <laughs> oh, I get it. Oh, just relax and pay attention. <laughs> <You know? laughs> A little slow learner. <laughs> so it, this, this whole experience of cleaning up our act, or cleaning up our, our behaviors, moving them in the direction of these three skillful intentions, you know, right intention, as we talked about a few weeks ago, moving them in the direction of that, it's all completely and utterly dependent upon our capacity to relax and pay attention to what's happening and how we feel. So again, the Buddha's formula for freedom is pay attention before, during, and after. You know, and, and in this sense, I, I think it's fair to say, and you've got, you got to be careful with your understanding of this, but it's fair to say, in that formula, it doesn't matter what you do. What matters is that you know what the experience of it is. That, that in, in, in the most obstructed way that you can muster, that you are uh, having a direct experience of that. So that, that the mind, which might be ignorant but not stupid, is going to get it. What happens is, if it's a skillful behavior or an unskillful one, then we become sensitized to it. And that the system tweaks itself through this uh, awareness. In a way, what's happening in it, if you think about it, is we're making um, full use 
of this propensity in our being to move towards pleasure and away from pain. But, but the thing is that that tendency or that propensity is in the unawakened state, it's being, it's entirely used up in the realm of self-gratification. Yeah? So then, if you can free it up from that, (laughs) then it can be raised to this higher purpose. It's the same thing. You know, the, 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 the tendency to go towards what feels right and what doesn't. What feels good, what makes us happy and what doesn't. That's, you're actually engaging that in the interest of our own freedom. So um, understanding intention and, and how it operates can, can get us to a place where we're much more relaxed and, and honest about what we see in ourselves. You know, because it doesn't matter. You know, I, I can't explain it. I mean, this is the way it is with every one of us. We, we have karma. <laughs> we have patterns and habits that are highly conditioned. And some of them serve us and some of them don't. And so you, you watch and, and you see the impulses take you this way and you see the, the impulses take you that way. And uh, you know, if you just watch it, you know, what are you going to do with that? Are you going to hate it? Because you know, that's what we do a lot. You, you're going to beat yourself up because you go this way when you don't want to go that way and don't go this way when you do. Yeah. It's the tendency, but it doesn't work. Believe me, I've tried it. <laughs> it doesn't work. <laughs> you know, turning it back on ourselves, that, that's all the, the domain of self-view. I've got to clean up my act. I've got to smack myself around. I've got to make myself stop doing this thing. I've got to make myself do this other thing. So the the only thing that makes sense in the in the presence of all of this is just to 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 find a way to make uh, peace with what we see in ourselves. And even, I would go so far as to say, to find a way to love it. (laughs) With all its warts and bruises and bumps and scratches. You know, you've got to find a way to love it. It's like peace and love. Peace and love. (laughs) We had it right in the 60s. (laughs) It's learned to relate to our own moods and and mind states and impulses in, in the same way. So, you know, it's bringing up this thing that Miyoshi and I have been pointing to all month is this unbelievable need for kindness in the presence of what we see, in the presence of, you know, what you're doing here is basically spending time bearing, opening to and bearing your karmic patterns and impulses and finding a way to sort out how it's all happening how, how we suffer around all that and how we get free of all of that. And so no, it calls for no small amount of kindness. just wanted to um, offer um, 
a form that worked very well for me a number of years ago when I, you know, this kind of all came to a head for me. And over the years, just seeing the extent of the, the self-loathing, the extent of the frustration, you know, so, oh, man, I did it again. I wasn't going to do that. You know, or, or the, uh, what's the matter with me? Why can't I rise up? Why can't I just do this, you know? Just seeing that over and over again and, and feeling the pain of it. You know, I just had this feeling that, you know, something's got to give. I've got to regroup here, <laughs> you know. This whole approach to um, cleaning up my act doesn't work. And so this one winter, I found myself, um, I, felt I had like an open schedule somehow. I had, a, I had a few months of unstructured time. And it wasn't a, a situation where I could go into full retreat because I had some things I had to do, some people I had to see. I certainly had to cook for myself and take care of the place and all. But I decided I'm going to have kind of a um, working retreat, kind of a living retreat, you know. And, uh, and I, I, I said, I just put one criteria on this two months. Every time I see myself do something, that I didn't want to do. Or every time I see myself not do something that I did want to do. To hold that moment and say to myself, be kind. Just be kind. You Find a way to soften around this phenomenon. And I have to tell you, it was hands down the most powerful two months of my life. It just shifted so much. And I offer it because of the power of that. You know, it's just something let go. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> That's not the way it's happening anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Just let it go. (laughs) Just feel it. Just find a way to open to it. Yeah? So I'll offer you this for your reflection tonight. So shall we close with blessing? Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.